0: The Lebanese soul is tired. Lebanese are tired. They've been going through so much. And this collective burnout that has resulted from a collective trauma that we have never collectively dealt with since the civil war, you know, precipitates to what we have today in our country. And it affects every single Lebanese in a different way.
1: Mental health takes on a whole new meaning when you live in a country in constant crisis. At the age of 40, My guest, Karmaik Megji, a mediation advisor and peace and security professional, along with millions of Lebanese citizens, has lived through multiple upheavals in her lifetime. A devastating civil war, internal conflict, political crime, and economic strife have traumatized generations of Lebanese. The COVID pandemic battered an already exhausted population. And as if that weren't enough for one country to handle, in August 2020, nearly 3,000 tons of stored ammonium nitrate exploded at the Beirut port, sending shockwaves of destruction across the Lebanese capital and causing untold physical, emotional, financial, and psychological damage to its residents. Despite all this, perhaps because of it, the Lebanese people have always been described as unusually resilient. And while it's true that they had to become so, one has to question whether that label has been taken for granted. In this episode, I talk to Karma about the meaning of resilience and mental health in Lebanon today. We discuss how mental health in the workplace is colored by collective trauma and suffering, how to model healthy coping mechanisms to children, how the mental health conversation has evolved across generations, and whether Gen Z is overcorrecting the mistakes of our parents. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Mindwork, where we're on a mission to transform mental health in the workplace, one story at a time. I'm your host, Jasmine El-Gamal. Hi Karma, thank you so much for joining me on Mindwork.
0: Hi Jasmine, thanks for having me, and congratulations on this new show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like there's so many issues, not just related to your work, but also to your country, where you come from, being a woman in international security. I mean, so many topics. Uh, I hope we can get to all of them in this episode. One of the things that, despite all the many different hats that you've worn and that you wear in the world of diplomacy and international affairs and so much more, one of the favorite things of mine that you do is this incredible initiative that I love called Diplo Women. I think of you as the Chief of Diplowoman. This is oh, like wow, a- that's such a great a honor of mine, the <laughs> Chief Diplowoman. But you started this initiative of Diplo Women as a way to empower and support and advocate for women in diplomacy and international affairs. Mm-hmm. So how did that come about? Well,
0: Jasmine, let me tell you, this was the fruit of a lot of frustration. You know, as you know, I used to work in international affairs for the Prime Minister's office. And oftentimes, I would see myself as being the only woman in the room, whether it was a state visit or during closed policy meetings. And initially, it was very intimidating. I would have imposter syndrome. You know, you would you lack the confidence to say something because you think if you're going <laughs> to say it, it's going to sound stupid or someone's going to make fun of you. And when I started in this space, I was also younger and also as a woman uh, it was quite intimidating. So when when I thought of this diploma initiative actually it was back in 2017 I was still uh, I was still in in government and I thought that maybe if I start promoting women in the peace and security space, whether it's in diplomacy or it's international affairs, or you know in, even in, in, in this space in think tanks or academia, and really try to say that we need to become we need to multiply. You know, yeah. we need to become more. We need to raise our voices because otherwise it's going to still remain an intimidating space and a very male dominated space. And so the whole idea behind Diplo women was to speak to the, the, the tranche age of, of 15 to 35 year olds and saying, if you're thinking about entering this world, don't be afraid, you are not alone. And if you're not thinking of entering this world, you better start thinking about it because we need more of you there. And so that was the reason, that was basically the idea of it. And and when I say diplo women, it's diplomacy in the broader sense of the word. So it's not only women becoming ultimate ambassadors or special envoys, right? You can be you can start in an international affairs team, you can be an advisor, You can be a journalist covering international affairs by applying, you know, a gender friendly lens to how you report things in international affairs and international security. So it's really very multidimensional and we need women's voices in all these different spaces uh, that tie together the world of diplomacy international affairs and international security
1: let's start getting into the mental health aspect it's when i was doing research for this lebanon is a country that holds such a special place in my heart i mean anyone who goes to lebanon will come out of it saying that right like special place special yeah. people but also i mean my god has has lebanon had a rough time of it and have the Lebanese people have had a rough time of it? And I'm not even talking about the last two years, right? I mean, we could go on, we could go back. Of course, back it, of course. Let's of talk course. about, you know, let's talk about for the purposes, you know, let's start with at least the last couple of years. I mean, you've had massive protests in 2019, October 2019, COVID, which of course was a global pandemic, but hit Lebanon quite hard because mm-hmm. of the already dire economic situation it was in. Exactly. Exactly. And then you have the Beirut port blast in uh-huh. 2020, which was, uh-huh. I don't know if there's, you know, for anyone who's listening, who doesn't, you know, who doesn't know about it, I I will have all of these resources in the episode notes so that you can read about it and learn about it. It's quite impossible to try to explain what the port blast was. So I won't try, you know, you're the Lebanese, maybe I can just, maybe you can just kind of tell us a little bit about, you know. That incident coming on the heels of everything else that had been happening for the last for the previous two years, Mm. and then Mm. try to try to paint a a snapshot, if you can, of what a Lebanese person living today in Lebanon or outside, by the way, but really in Lebanon, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What did that do?
0: I mean, uh, listen, uh, I cannot even begin to pretend that I understand what some of my Lebanese compatriots went through in the Beirut port Blast because I didn't lose family members. Um, Okay, my house was completely destroyed. I moved out for a month and a half. We fixed the house. We came back. Material damage doesn't matter. I cannot begin to imagine what people who... Lost um, an arm or a leg or an eye or uh, are permanently um, paralyzed in coma or lost family members uh, went through, and I will not, you know, even try to embark on that explanation because I can't. I don't have that privilege to even, you know, say that say any of that. There has been a lot of suffering in Lebanon, and the Beirut port blast sort of. It was as if the manifestation of what the state looks right looks like right now. Yeah. You know, it it really is destroyed. And it is, it is, it is in pieces. The institutions are destroyed. They are in pieces. And 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 we try, we try to like, you know, patch things up and put band-aids here and there, but khalas, as we say in Arabic, that's not going to work anymore yeah. in Lebanon. We are really at a critical crossroad excuse me, crossroads that we can either, you know, build stronger foundations upon which a state can be built, or lay lay that those foundations upon which a state can be built, or we are doomed. And you know, this is it. I mean, like I can't I can't describe it in any other way. Yeah. And so what's sad is that it was just another incident yeah. in Lebanese history. As I look at it now, it's I hope, I hope that one day There will be justice. I hope that one day those who are, you know, in pain will find some sort of, you know, comfort and refuge. But I know my history very well. I know my Lebanese history very well. And so far there has never been, you know, sort of punitive measures or justice has not been served to any of the past incidents though they may not compare to the Beirut port blast but still assassinations and different sort of uh, bombs and 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 political uh, crime that yeah. w- that has happened in the country and still justice has not been served i'm a believer that eventually justice will be served but that's going to be a long long road and unless we have that kind of patience we're not going to be you know positively surprised with justice um and that that really exhausts a Lebanese soul it really tires the Lebanese and 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 one thing that I'm I'm tired of hearing and I'm tired of people you know writing articles about is about Lebanese resilience that is all pretty gonna, beautiful yeah, and it's that. great that we're resilient but we're tired of being yeah. resilient we yeah. are sick and tired of being resilient and it is time for us to take that resilience and use it for something else. And 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 really, you know, like sometimes it's becoming as if someone someone's insulting me when they say, oh, you're so, so resilient. Right. You know, like it's insulting. It's like, I don't want to be resilient. I want to be bored. That's what I want to be as a Lebanese. I want to be bored and not have to deal with how to get my money out of the bank or how to like stand in line for in the ATM for them to give me peanuts, how to deal with my parents who are now in retirement age and have nothing because they've lost all their money to the Lebanese uh, banks. I don't want to deal with these things. You know, I want to be bored, right? And so so that really is is tiring and the Lebanese soul is tired. Lebanese are tired. They are they've been they've been really they've been going through so much. And and this collective burnout that has resulted from a collective trauma that mm-hmm. we have never collectively dealt with since the civil war you know, precipitates to what we have today in our our country. And it affects every single Lebanese in a different way.
1: Of course. I mean, like, first of all, I literally have goosebumps just hearing you speak because I've seen this. I've seen my friends live it. And it's, like you said, it's just so hard to describe the magnitude of how this type of collective trauma, individual trauma, Permeates literally your day to day, your day to day minute life, your minute to minute actions. You can't get money out of the bank. You have a limit. Your currency has lost almost all of its value. Mm-hmm you have no medication, there's a shortage of basic hygiene and sanitary products. It, I mean, it, it's like every single aspect of your life. So I almost feel like when I hear people, but by the way, I used to be one of those guilty ones that would say the Lebanese are so resilient. And mm-hmm. actually, it's like now it's almost like that's it's almost insulting. And it's like, don't take them for granted. By
0: exactly. I mean, back in the day, it was a compliment. Like, but now yeah, back in the day, it was
1: yeah. a compliment. Exactly. And it was even a joke at some point, you know, about how like the Lebanese will party like day after civil war is over. Like, let's go back. You know, it's like, no, that's, it's not a joke. This is real trauma. This is individual trauma. It's collective trauma. It's pain. It's anguish. It's anger. It's hurt. It's all of those things. So how, I mean, okay. In, in such a situation, which Mm -hmm. this is life, right? Mm -hmm. People have to go to work. Right. Right. People still have jobs. Mm-hmm. And in fact, now their jobs are more important than ever because Absolutely. it's like their only chance to go out and make any kind of money that they, you know, that they can use to survive, that they can use to now people, like you said, have to help out their parents who might have lost everything, worry about their children. You have two beautiful boys. Um, you have <laughs> Thank a you. future. And how do you, you know, in other episodes of mine, you know, we sort of talk about mental health at work. And I think so far, so far, this won't be the case always, but by and large, my guests have been in situations and countries which are fairly stable, fairly prosperous. Mm. um, And so we really can hone in on like the workplace and the work. Mm -hmm. What happens when the workplace is in Lebanon? A crisis
0: or, or any crisis zone. In a I mean,
1: trauma wrapped in yeah. crisis, wrapped in grief, wrapped in so many other things. Where do you even so begin that's, to talk
0: that's, about that? That's interesting that, that you say that because, you know, Lebanon is not the only crisis country in the world, right? I mean, currently, you know, my kids go to school. They're in, right now at soccer. They're playing football. Football, we call football. You know, they're in relatively a safe, Zone, yeah. right? So we're not in an armed, violent conflict in Lebanon yet. We live trauma. We live all these, you know, different things. But also, we have to think of, and I have to do this as as a as as someone who deals with, you know, uh, uh, crises and and different conflicts. Is like we have so many conflicts in the Middle East, ongoing conflicts in the Middle East. We have so many conflicts going on in in Africa. And Sudan has like just another new conflict that wasn't prevented. And you have like all these different, you know places that are not stable, that are not, you know, and all these countries, people in these countries are struggling every day, either to make ends meet or to try to, you know, sort of put food on the table or a woman who's working two different jobs because she lost her husband to armed conflict or COVID or whatever, you know, this category of people, it's scrolling on social media and what they are seeing and what they're being fed about mental health is yeah let's have 3 day work weeks yeah, yeah. let's not go like be careful you have to take it easy and maybe you know take care of yourself because yeah. you know otherwise you'll 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 get to a stage of burnout that's all lovely yeah but that's not very applicable to our world, yeah. Right, and and no, we can't have three day weekends, uh, three day work weeks, because we have to work seven day shifts to yep. make ends meet, right? So there is this conflicting messaging that's coming to us about the w- mental health in the workplace, and I feel like the messaging out there, okay, is for the privileged. The messaging about mental health and the workplace is for the privileged, you know, and I I consider myself a privileged person. Right. I I, I am. I am privileged. Right. I am lucky to have a great job and I can provide for the family and I have a partner who we equally, you know, share responsibilities and all that. But I'm the the, I'm not the uh, I'm not the rule. Yeah. Okay. In our in our part of the world. Yeah. in in places of crisis and conflict and, and not everyone has that luxury. I've been brought up by the axiom that only hard work pays off, yeah. right? And now I'm being sent a conflicting message saying, no, you don't have to work that hard. You have to like, just, you know, be who you are and it's going to be fine. And no, it's not going to be fine. We really need to work super hard to be able to succeed. I'm always wondering what I should tell my kids because they're Mm. hearing these messages now. They're hearing about like uh, some person who's a blogger or a YouTuber who's making a lot of money and they think that that's enough. And that's like the ultimate goal. Like I want to be a YouTuber. Can I start start my YouTube channel? And that's my son's dream, for instance and and that's the message that he's getting about the workplace his workplace yeah. could be his bedroom i have to explain to my my 8 year old child that this is not necessarily your path to success that there are different ways to explore things and only hard work pays off so i'm a little bit i'm struggling with all this messaging right the messaging that i'm getting about mental health in the workplace i'm struggling with it Yeah. You know, whether whether because I'm a mother of of two boys or whether because I live in a crisis area or because, you know, for whatever reason, I'm struggling with these messages.
1: It's all of the above. Right. I mean, it's bad enough and it's hard enough to worry about your own self when it comes to these things. But having to worry about kids and how you're raising your kids and what you're telling your kids. I mean, and then, of course, again, within a crisis zone, you said so many interesting things that I think I want to Unpack what you just said because I think there are like a few different threads here. One is Western centric messaging and perspectives about mental health and mental health, relatedly, mental health in the workplace. You know, Mm -hmm. so like you said, we're talking a lot about working three days a week, four days a week. We're talking a lot about the responsibility of the employer, the responsibility of managers. That's all very well and good in a prosperous society where people you can actually expect maybe such a thing from your manager like the manager Mm -hmm. if you're let's just talk about lebanon for a moment your managers are also traumatized your managers are also coming to work and they don't know what to do with themselves and they don't know what you know how to how to cope but they know that they have to go to work and so i want to ask you about you know, whether it's your personal experiences or what you've seen around you of how people in Lebanon are showing up to work with that trauma, with that fear, that anxiety, that hopelessness, that anger, and doing the job, you know, in your mind, so we we agree that the conversations that are prevalent today are very Western centric, but if they weren't, what would you Want that conversation to look like? I mean, how would you have this conversation with your, with not just people in Lebanon, but people who are not living in a Western privileged, prosperous society? That's the first, you know, first thing I wanted to mm-hmm. ask you. And then the second thing, and maybe we can talk about this afterwards, is when I was doing the research for this uh, episode, I came across a Lebanese government mental health strategy. Mm-hmm. And a mental health in the workplace strategy. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering because there's also this idea that we haven't we haven't touched upon yet, which is stigma. Stigma mm-hmm. when it comes to mental health and mental health at work is an issue everywhere, but especially in certain cultures and societies, there still isn't that language that is readily available although it's changing, I think, in the younger generation now.
0: But I want to talk a little bit about that too, yeah, how we, it's changing and exactly. whether it's changing with the right definition. Exactly. Because, we, because we I also feel, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I also yeah, feel yeah. there's like a we're treading a delicate tightrope like, because uh, I, like, <laughs> I feel like there's a little bit like the narrative is being peddled. Like, I don't know if it's driving mediocrity or laziness. So we have to talk about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm, there, I'm there very There could determined. be like an overcorrection with the younger Yeah, which yeah, I know exactly. we'll talk about. But, you know, I wanted to talk about sort of workplace dynamics in your in this type of situation, right? I want to ask you about the Lebanese government response and whether even them just having a mental health strategy and a mental health in the workplace strategy is whether it was aimed at or regardless of whether it was aimed at reducing the stigma, whether it in actuality is reducing the stigma, whether whether that stigma is eroding now just because literally everybody's dealing with a mental health issue. So how could there be a stigma anymore? Mm. But let's start with the workplace. I mean, what does the workplace look like and what does the conversation around mental health in the workplace look like in Lebanon? I mean So, I okay. so I'm not a I'm know.
0: not a mental health expert,
1: right? So everything sure, but this I this is not say your is, experience. I exactly. Mean it's it's yeah. my
0: experience, it's my observations. People have no choice, Jasmine. People have no choice. They have to show up to work. Yeah. They have to suck it up and go to work. Yeah. And 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 whoever has a job is lucky. You know, it's not like we're a striving economy with like 9% growth and like jobs are, you know, everywhere. No. So if you have a job, you hold on to it and you do it, you know, and you go, you show up and you, you suck it up and you do your job. And so what I've observed is that people have no choice and they're just, you know, trying to do the best they can with the little resources they have and to just manage uh, their mental health. And we know from COVID and post-COVID how much, you know, and, and the crisis in Lebanon, how much domestic violence, for instance, has gone, gone up. Yeah. Because obviously someone goes to work, they're frustrated, they're getting paid peanuts after the devaluation of the currency and all that. And they, that frustration is coming out somewhere else. It's coming out at home. Of so So that is, I mean, statistically, yes, the numbers of domestic violence has gone up. The numbers have gone up
1: or like unhealthy behaviors in general like you know or or partying excessive this that or the other like you have to somehow exactly
0: so there is that you know there is that side of it to be honest I don't think the priority of managers right now or employers right now is to sit and have a mental health strategy for their workplace Mm. you know I mean we teach it at universities we talk about it but we don't necessarily apply it because that is at the bottom of the priority list at the moment right they just want to make money and try to pay salaries and try to make sure the generator is working because the electricity is not there it's cut and things like that you know
1: so can I just interrupt for a second isn't there something to be said though about especially because you can't do anything about it and you just have to suck it up and do it and everyone else is doing the same isn't there a benefit to actually having a conversation about it? Of course. Look, we don't, we can't do anything about it. maybe there are, don't get me
0: wrong. Maybe there are conversations that are happening that I'm not aware of. Maybe there are conversations happening in the workplace at universities or at big companies or multinationals. But I'm pretty sure these conversations are not happening in public schools where the teachers have been on strike and they're not being paid their salaries. And I'm sure these are not happening in in public schools or in the public sector. Right. And and so so again, when we talk about the workplace, we have to define the workplace. Right. The society in Lebanon is divided. You have the privileged who have that access, the access also to these conversations, the access to mental health help, the access to, you know, whatever it is that's going to make their work experience easier. Yeah. And then you have a whole category of, of people. And I I would, you know, almost confidently say it's the mainstream population who do not have the awareness, yeah. let alone the access to conversations or or help. Here, I really want to do a shout out to an organization, an NGO in Lebanon that's called Embrace. For the past few years, they have been doing amazing work, raising awareness on mental health, Uh, generally mental health in the workplace. They have a suicide hotline. They've been uh, dealing with so many different cases since the beginning of the crisis. And I feel like this is really, you know, sort of has filled a vacuum, has filled a void that we've had in Lebanon. Mm Uh, they they're really doing amazing amazing work and they have an incredible team with great leadership. This young woman called Miatwe who's the one who started it and and leads it. She's she's incredible and and I and I and I'm sure a lot of people pray for her and light candles for her it for the work that beautiful. she does because yeah because you know she's been doing incredible incredible work. And so it's it's you know it's people like her and 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 similar people who are really trying to do their part. To raise awareness and and give access to mental health uh, services to the mainstream population. Again, I I'm, I'm very careful when we talk about these yeah, topics, yeah, because because you know you know you you maybe ha- may be able to have the means to go to the best mental health uh, therapists you know abroad even if you're in Lebanon or or find a great mental health therapist here in Lebanon and pay 100 dollars an hour for a session but but the mainstream population will not afford that and cannot afford that and it's not a priority for them the food is the priority for yeah, them and right. so these services are so important you mentioned the 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 government's mental health i've i've it's been 3 years since i've been out of the prime minister's office so i don't really have much information on it now but i remember back then uh, when it was being drafted it was something that uh, you know had the then prime minister's support and and a lot of people were trying to drive this agenda forward because it is a cornerstone of of the productivity of a country of a nation yeah. you know
1: I know that we want to get to the to the sort of the youth and the and the the younger generation, but let me ask you, just since we're on the topic of just kind of like coping and what can managers do and all of that stuff. I mean, how do you you how do you cope with and again, I I by the way, I really appreciate how you're always like making sure to caveat your answers by by saying that you know you are a you know you are coming from from a place of privilege relatively speaking to people around you so i really really appreciate you saying that and also noting that lebanon is not the only country in the world that is obviously going through conflict and crisis and all that stuff but for people listening for people you know who just want to hear okay but how do you do it you know because you also you also have struggles. You also Mm -hmm. have pressures. Um, Yes, you have more means than others, but that doesn't mean that also that you shouldn't, that you don't have coping mechanisms. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I was just wondering if you could share a little bit about kind of like what gets you past those moments.
0: So just for background, I'm, I'm a child of the Lebanese civil war. Right. So the first nine years of my life, I was living in a bomb shelter. Uh, So I was in a full fledged civil war. So so you can imagine like my I look at my son right now and at his age, I hadn't done half the things that he's done because I was in a, they, I was living in a country that was in armed conflict yeah so I've I have that baggage so let's start with that trauma right I already have that layer of baggage that layer of trauma that's that's actually you know inspired me to do what I do now whether it's working in the past for government or or working on mediation and conflict resolution now it's because in my mind I don't want that to happen again right yeah. I, I want to do everything in my you know, humble. You know, limited power to avoid that because I don't think I can put my pillow, my head on my pillow at night, and go to sleep without saying I've tried to do something to prevent. Of course, that makes perfect a little sense. bit of tension or a little, bit, even if it's just between me and myself. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying I have great influence, but I'm, but I'm saying that in, for my own self. Yeah, you know it's that's that's always in my mind like how can i make sure that this doesn't happen again because i live in that fear of going back of relapsing into that conflict yeah. right yeah. so so that that i have that layer of trauma and then I have the trauma of you know uh, wars. Like I'm 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 40 years old. I've lived like six wars already. Like that's yeah. not normal, you know. Whether it's uh, the the wars, uh, uh, Israel attacking Lebanon, or it's the internal conflicts, or it's the assassinations, or the it's the internal civil strife, the armed you know the the the, the armed uh, uh, conflicts in the streets that were happening back in 2008, etc. So many layers and layers yeah. of that kind of you know conflict, and then the economic crisis and what's going to happen and my parents and my children. And so, yes, I do absolutely have a coping mechanism because without it, I will fall apart. Of course. And I do a lot of I mean, I, I'm very mindful. Yeah. Right. I've, I've worked a lot. I mean, everyone who's been to therapy knows that mental health, achieving mental health, is a process, right? It's not like oh, <laughs> I, I, I am not healthy in my mind, and then I go somewhere, and then I become yeah. healthy. It's not how it is, no, right? Feel, it's a process. it's a lifelong
1: it's a, lifelong, it's a lifelong, lifelong process. process. Yeah. It's a lifelong process. Absolutely. And I've
0: started that. I've started that very early
1: on. Yeah. For
0: personal reasons, for professional reasons, I've started that very early on, and and I continue that. I continue that because I believe I I believe that we need to work on ourselves. Yeah. Um, and and we only need to compare ourselves to ourselves a day before. Absolutely. Right. And to no one else. That's the bar. The bar is am I better than yesterday? Absolutely. And it's a work in progress. It's just, I mean, I I'll give you the basics. Like I I, I do I do um, um a lot of emotional therapy. I do a lot of yoga. I do meditation. I do breathing. I try to, you know, again, a very privileged answer. I try to get out of Lebanon. Yeah. every two three months to recharge my batteries and come back again I realize that not everyone can do that but this is what I do you know and it works for me I'm from the from the few people from my friends who have chosen to stay in Lebanon I mean I I make new, new I, I make new acquaintances I have very little friends but I make new acquaintances yeah. every day but my my core group of, of friends are not in Lebanon a you lot know, and there there are yeah. a lot there across the world. yeah, you know and and the choice to stay in Lebanon uh, needs to be uh, coupled with, uh, again, I have a choice, right? A lot of people don't have a choice to leave, but you chose and to stay. I, I mean, yes, but I, but I can't I can't have this conversation without thinking of all these people. I I again, I am the I am not the rule. Yeah. yeah. I am the except. you're talking to an exception. You are yeah. not, and, and I need to stress that. I need sure. to stress that because the majority of the population don't have a passport even to be able to leave the country yeah. Yeah. For, for three days to just like change their moods, right? And and so, yes, I've chosen to live in Lebanon. I've chosen to raise my kids in Lebanon. We have chosen as a couple to stay in Lebanon, but, it, but you need to really recharge your batteries to be able to survive here. Mm-hmm. You need to get out to stay in, you know, and, and that is, you know, that is one of my coping mechanisms coupled with day-to-day sort of breathing and meditating and trying to like, you know, take a few day, few minutes off for yourself every morning before you start your day. If you can with two kids, it's a bit hard, but like (laughs) little things, you know, but, but I, I also wanted to, I also wanted to say that everything is a choice. I know I said that some people show up to work because they have no choice. And yes, they may not have a choice at that moment in time. But I believe that every single one of us has the capacity to change some of the variables around us. Mm. Right. Oftentimes we think that everything around us is constant and that we need to operate in this system. But I have learned with time. That I can change some of the things that I perceive as constants, that constants yeah. that are controlling me. Yeah. That in fact they're not constants that that are controlling me. They're actually variables. I just need to figure out which variable, which are which, which of those are variables that I can change yeah. for my benefit. I, I don't know if I'm tr- being able to verbalize. No, um,
1: I, 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 I I get what you're saying, and you know what it is. It is a very you know when you when I first had the idea of starting this podcast, I was looking at the people who I had immediate access to. And I quickly realized that those people have, okay, it's like you said, how you described yourself, they're the exception, not the norm. So I hope that you're one of the first conversations I'm having. And I hope to have many, many more. And I hope to talk to all kinds of people in all kinds of situations to to really look at this issue from as many perspectives, cultures, situations, per, you know, as I can, because yeah. you can't just sit around talking to the top, I don't know how many percent and asking them about mental health in the workplace. No, and with a very oh. intersectional lens, like a very intersectional lens, yeah. you know. And absolutely that. But then, but also I do, th- I think it is important to hear from everybody because every person that you talk to and every perspective, they are contributing something to the overall society, to the overall health of the society, no matter where they're coming at it from, whether you're an employee or a supervisor or someone who's privileged or someone who's not, you know, it's like, I always say that, and this is something I truly, truly believe, which is that a healthy, Work, a healthy individual, a healthy workplace, a healthy society. Those are all connected. There's a thread running through all of that. And so creating a healthy individual that comes with a bunch of factors, creating a healthy workplace comes with a bunch of factors, creating a healthy society. So I do think it's important to hear a lot of perspectives, but I don't think you are doing this, but I don't think you should almost... Be, you know, be self-deprecating or apologetic for saying- you know, Or
0: guilty or feeling I, guilty.
1: Or feel guilty to yeah, say, but I, I, do I get, do get away when I can. Because actually, this is where you are and you do what you need to do to stay healthy so that you can contribute to others who are not like you. If anything, you are someone who has chosen to stay in a difficult situation when you have the privilege to leave. And you're someone who is serving your community at multiple levels- and I think the greater good by doing what you do. So if you're not healthy, you actually can't do any of that stuff. And I that's think that's a great way of well, looking at it. <laughs> well, it's it's all like paying it forward. It's like, if I'm yes. not healthy, I can't do what I do. And I hope that what I do helps someone who can't do what I do. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So yes, it's yes. Just, just kind of not to belabor the point, but no, no, I mean, I, I'm very
0: happy no. you said that, actually, yeah. it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's it's actually, for me, a way to look at it, because thinking about that all the time also affects my mental health, of right? Course. So, so, but, but, you know, because we're talking about Lebanon, I just wanted to make the point that yeah. for me, in the back of my mind, I'm very mindful of the fact that so many people are suffering. And so many people are dealing with mental health issues in the workplace, outside the workplace, and that really, like, I would just dedicate this episode to everyone, not only in Lebanon, everyone who has, you know, double jobs and double shifts. And, you know, yeah. uh, uh, hearing all these uh, sort of ideas about how we need to take a step back and relax when they really can't. And I just want to say that, like, this, for me, you know, they're all in my mind. And yeah. and I think about this every day.
1: No, and that's really clear. It really is. Um, in everything that you say. And we can probably use this as a way to segue now to the next generation, because I, as you were, as you were just talking, I was thinking about our parents and I was thinking about the conversations I've had with my mom about mental health in the workplace, about the ways my mom has, my mother has coped with things, whether it's personal grief or just, you know, a tough sort of overall situation. My mom just shows up to work. She doesn't talk about it. She doesn't You know, lament. She doesn't, she just does it. Right. I think you
0: and I think your mom and
1: my mom are from like the same generation and (laughs) and the same mold. (laughs) Exactly. So, my mom, you know, she doesn't sit around thinking about how to optimize her mental health at work. She's supposed to work. (laughs) So, that's that generation. And then I feel like our generation is kind of, you know, sort of, we have the, we were raised by that, but we're also kind of like, wait, that doesn't, Exactly, make, work, though. Work. Like, yeah, exactly. The healthiest situation, <laughs> right? That's so Now, funny. I don't have kids, but you have two kids. Um, Now you have the next generation. Yeah. Who is maybe, I, I'm not going to put words in her mouth. I want to hear from you if there's any kind of overcorrection happening or so, you know, what you're seeing in the next generation.
0: So just in case, now. just in case this like... <laughs> Someone pulls out these lines from me, like in five years, for whatever reason. I need to be very politically correct with what I say, but I think there's definitely an overcorrectness, and I'm yeah. I'm, I'm actually a little bit worried because I also feel like the mental health topic is being used or overused or overexploited, yeah, by this new generation to justify. You know, not doing enough work, and that scares me. That scares is, me. Is a Is it lot. like
1: the new, like, oh, my dog ate my homework? Like, I'm sorry, I couldn't. I think it's the new, my dog ate my homework, or my grandmother
0: died for the nth time. I think that's,
1: I think that's
0: what it is. And honestly, I wouldn't be saying this if I hadn't seen enough of a pattern. Yeah. Around me to conclude it, whether it's you know I teach at university, whether it's with with students or with. New recruits, or with younger members of the family, you know, yeah. who are just starting to to find jobs or work, and and I'm like, no, uh, I'm sorry, this has, you know, you're borderline acting entitled, and yeah. this is this is, you know, this is this is, you're not gonna get far yeah. with this kind yeah. of attitude, and I'm worried. I really am worried because what are we doing? Okay, if you scroll in your Instagram feed and watch some a bunch of random reels, yeah. okay? You get this reel whereby some famous actor is giving a speech and saying like, I failed so many times and I stood back on my feet and only hard work pays off and you need to never give up and work hard and, you know, like punch in closed doors and make it happen. You have that speech. Yeah. And then you have the other speech where it's like, you know take a step back breathe because you read three pages and that is like too much there has to be so so we're giving no no we're giving conflicting messages we're sending conflicting messages to this young mind that is just being formed that they're figuring out their purpose in the world and they're trying to like understand, you know, how homework works or how, you know, the the, the classroom works or how university works or how the first job works or the first internship works. We're feeding these very sort of um, moldy minds that still haven't formed this conflicting message, right? And it's
1: confusing. There's also like the sort of, okay, you know, the balance between, again, the way Our parents were raised, which was a little bit diluted with us. And now it's even more so, which is going all the way from, you don't have a choice. This is what you do to now, you know, to us, we were like, you have a little bit of a choice. Choice, Yeah, (laughs) you have some choice, but still a lot of themes of responsibility and commitment and and sacrifice and all of that stuff. And then there's the message that, that, you know, the second message that you talked about, which is like, no, no, no you can choose anything and everything. And it's all about, you know, what you want and what you want to do. I see those messages. But that's fine. That's fine. They can choose whatever they want to do, whatever they want to do. And nobody's forcing them to do. No, but I'm talking about if that bleeds over to like, well, I don't want to do my homework or, well, I don't want to show up to work because I just don't want to. And I, you know, it's like, Where, you know, when you're having conversations with your kids, being from, you know, raised by one generation and raising Mm. a completely different generation, and you're like in the middle. Middle, exactly. Right? You have to figure out what are you, you know, you're like a funnel, right? You're like, what am I going to pass on from like my parents' generation? What am I adding from my own experiences and feelings? And then, you know, how am I communicating it and relaying it? to my kids who are living in a world and surrounded by messaging that is very different from ours. Like I don't envy parents today. Like, no. <laughs> having to explain, Like okay. I mean, children are a blessing. I'm not, of course, but it's just, it's, it's it's, a, it's, it's hard to me as an, as a non-parent that it's really, it's hard as a balancing act. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that, especially if you're trying to instill in your kids, this sense of, work ethic and commitment and mental health and how important it is and all of that stuff. But at the same time, not kind of overcorrection.
0: I'm I'm still a believer. I'm still a believer till this day. Maybe I'll change my mind in the future. But till this day, I'm a believer that the equation is as follows. Success equals hard work. Mm. That's how I see it. I don't see success In anything, you want to be a chef, you want to be an engineer, you want to be a a dancer, whatever you want to be, whatever your choice is. If you want to be successful, okay, and by successful, I mean whatever the measure of success is for you, okay, then you need to work hard. It's not going to come out of the blue and it's not going to be handed to you because there's enough, there's so much competition out there. Yeah. Okay. That someone else who's going to work harder than you is going to get what you wanted to, to attain. Yeah.
1: I okay. mean, all things being equal in terms of like same amount of luck, same amount of, you know, right place at right, same amount of all of that stuff that you can't really control. I I mean, absolutely agree with you that, ta- you know, talent being nice, funny, you know, like that's not going to cut it all, all other things, be all else being equal, basically that hard work is... The probably the most important thing that I think our parents have kind of passed on is that what passed
0: on. and I still believe that that's what I want to pass on to my children because I still believe in that. yeah, right? Now the question is, okay, how do we measure hard work? okay? Right. And maybe our parents measured it by not spending weekends with their kids. I don't know because that they have they, they thought that if they work those extra two days, that's hard work. Yeah, maybe we measure it differently, right? But that idea of hard work for me is something that I want to instill in my children. And I don't want that to be conflicting with mental health. You can still work hard, you know, and strive to be mentally healthy. Yeah, absolutely. They, they they're not mutually contradict, they're not mutually exclusive. That's right. You know, That's right. but what's but what's happening a little bit now with the narrative is that we're Sort of putting hard work in the back seat by saying, you know, mental health. Yeah. And I don't agree with that. Yeah. I, I personally don't agree with that. I think that there is an optimum solution. And I think that there is an equilibrium that we still haven't attained. Um, and it will come with time, but I'm worried that we will have a lost generation in the process by peddling this narrative that. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, like, I don't feel like reading the assignment because it's too long and it's after 6 p.m. And, you know, yeah. I don't want to work after 6 p.m. because well, of my mental health. And I think and yeah. I, that's, an, that's an excuse that I've gotten from a student, by the way.
1: Yeah. No, no, I, I believe it. You know?
0: <laughs>
1: I, I and think with that.
0: all due respect, I, do, I don't buy it. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I, we used to pull all-nighters yeah. at university. And and I think that was okay. I don't think that was wrong.
1: Listen, I think this is, it's a tricky one, because it's new. Like the mental health conversation is fairly new. Mm. Learning the language of the mental health conversation is new. It doesn't apply the same words and the same language don't apply in different contexts. There's no universal language or standard as it applies to mental health, as it applies to mental health at work. There's still a lot of stigma. There's still, I mean, like, it's just there's a whole like navigation between Gen Z and millennials. And, you know, so I think a lot of the things that we're talking about now, it's hard because it's happening as we speak. So I actually think you're really, I mean, not only are you right to raise these points, but I think it's also helpful to raise these points because I feel like this is actually a global conversation that's happening in real time. Mm -hmm. And just at least a fraction of it, a part of it. And it's going to, I think, communicating about it, talking about it, not being afraid to say, you know, what we want, not being afraid to say what we're afraid of. All of that is part of it, right? And being afraid for your kids or worrying about your kids that they won't find that balance, I think, is a perfectly normal. Like the word "normal," I, you know, I'm always like mm. the word "normal," but yeah, it's, it's understandable. It's totally understandable that. These are the things that you're thinking in your head. Listen, these are, I'm very happy that you've raised all these issues. And I think they're really helpful because I think that we need to be having these conversations. The biggest impetus I had for starting this podcast and talking to people like you is that I don't think we are having enough of these conversations, especially when it comes to the work context. So for sure. I really thank you for showing up and for having the conversation. And maybe we'll have, you know, God willing, this podcast is successful. And in like two years, we'll have a part two to see whether we've changed in 2 years what the world looks like that would be great what, what acceptable is when it comes to mental health and the work that we do and what working hard means i mean i think all of that stuff is going to change a lot so well, i look forward um, to many more conversations with you
0: likewise likewise again like i said in the beginning thank you uh, and congratulations on creating this show it is so important And, and the topic that we are taught, like the topic is so important and so real, like it's in real time, right? We're discussing these issues in real time. And, and again, like for me, this was a conversation. I wasn't like, I still have questions, so many questions about this uh, topic. And I'm, uh, sometimes I struggle with them. Sometimes I, you know, read about them. Sometimes I think about them and, but, but the conclusions have still not, have yet to be reached, right? And, and, but, (laughs) but, but just to tell you, like the raising this awareness, raising on mental health has really helped me, uh, you know, sort of organize myself better, uh, just as a final thought, like I would be so afraid to delegate work. Mm. And I have, uh, sort of with time, um, understood and accepted that I can trust someone else to do some of the things that I think I can only do because that's not the yeah. case. Other people are also very competent and I have to trust that and I have to delegate work. And so that has really helped me as well as a small tip. You know, you asked me what the coping mechanisms are. This is exactly. one of them. And I wanted to just highlight that.
1: And now you're um, teaching them to someone else. And I mean, that's the whole point. The whole point is this: that you hit the, the nail on the head by saying, I learned. And the whole point of, doing this is to learn and to share what we learn like I sometimes I sometimes I joke that my tagline should be I've made all the mistakes so that you don't have to like that's just (laughs) the tagline of this show it's like that's that's how okay we have to make the mistakes some people have to make if you make them I just believe that we should talk about them. Agreed. Hopefully, someone else will not make that mistake, and then it just gets better and better. But and hopefully,
0: we'll them. make many more mistakes because if we don't, it means we're not trying to do anything new. So,
1: you know, um, what? <laughs> I can't top that. That is the perfect way to end this episode. <laughs> Keep making mistakes; it's the only way to learn, and it means that you're trying and you're living, and that is a beautiful thing. It is. So, Thank you so much, Karma. Thank you so
0: much for having me. Thank you so much. I enjoyed this so much. Me
1: too. This is one of my favorite conversations, actually. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I hope you found this conversation helpful. Join me next week as I chat with former journalist Esir Khattab on how his mental health was impacted as a Syrian journalist covering the very conflict that tore his country apart and why he ultimately made the decision to leave the profession. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends to help us get these conversations to people who need to hear them.